Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Well, the baseball playoffs are underway. In the case of the Yankees, the uh, baseball playoffs are over. They are done. The Red Sox beat them 6-2 to two and send them home for the uh, for the offseason. And uh, we got the game in the National League tonight with the Dodgers playing the Cardinals. And um, Wainwright versus Scherzer. Those are two heavyweights tonight. Heavyweights tonight. And then somebody's going home, just like the Yankees and Red Sox. And it's hard to view any of these teams as the little guy, the Cinderella story. I mean, I know the Red Sox took down the Yankees, but and the Red Sox payrolls, I mean, they've been enormous for a while now. They're not uh, – and, and granted, this year the Dodgers have the biggest, most outrageous payroll, but there, there are plenty of enormous payrolls. I just can't view the, the Red Sox as this um, – Cinderella, underdog. I mean, when they hadn't won forever and they had the jinx, the hex, all that stuff, okay, and and they were the gutty team and everybody rooted for them, and sure, but but now, they're the fifth biggest payroll in baseball. I mean, their fans are spoiled. They are basically the Yankees. (laughs) That's $184 million payroll versus the Yankees' $203 million payroll. Hey, Mets. You got a $200 million payroll. <laughs> I mean, at least everybody else is in the mix, right? Everybody else is good. The Cardinals have a top 10 payroll. Um, um, you don't have to pay because the Rays don't, <clears throat> but mostly teams have to pay. Most of the smaller payrolls don't get it done. The Rays, with their $70 million payroll, man, they, they find good players. They develop good players. And when it's time to pay players, they let them go, and they find more good young players who don't have to be paid. <laughs> I wonder if they ever got... A ballpark that fans liked that was good for the fan experience <laughs> could they get some fans and or there's just too many yankee fans in florida you know in spring training all these years and people retiring from the northeast and moving down and rooting for the teams in the area they left i don't know what the deal is there but the rays are amazing and in everybody else in the playoffs with these just enormous <laughs> enormous payrolls and you think about it, the dodgers payroll is almost four times bigger than Tampa Bay's. It's not like uh, 12 or $13 million short of being four times bigger than Tampa Bay's. All right, we got a jazz game tonight. Utah Jazz are back in action, so you can uh, channel surf between the baseball game, which will be Dodgers-Cardinals, 6 o'clock, and then you got the Jazz in Dallas. Now, it won't be all of the Jazz. It'll, I expect it'll be some of the Jazz. The Jazz sat two of their five starters and two of their probably top four subs. So four of their nine rotation guys were sitting in San Antonio. Rudy Gobert didn't play. Rudy Gay didn't play. Um, Joe Ingles didn't play. And Bogey. Uh, Bogey didn't play either. Um, Rudy Gay's definitely out. Bogey, they said some shoulder issues, so he might be out. You know, maybe Rudy plays and Donovan sits tonight. Maybe Ingles plays and somebody else sits. Um, if, you, if you're going to play the seventh man, maybe you can sit the sixth man. Maybe Jordan Clarkson sits. We'll have to see how it works out. But I would, I would expect really limited minutes for the guys who do play. The guys who played, it was 15 to 22 minutes. But, you know, if you want to see some of the younger guys, who should make the roster, who shouldn't, who is prepared to step into the rotation, because inevitably they are going to be injuries and somebody's going to have to. I don't know who's going to get hurt or for how long, but there are many NBA teams sailing through a season. And, and I also think that, you can just plan on no back-to-backs for Mike Conley. Um, you probably should have planned on that on your own without me telling you, but I'll just go ahead and remind you. Um, 
Yeah, probably no Mike Conley back-to-back. So that would be a pretty safe bet this year. So the Jazz tonight. You got the Jazz and you got the playoff baseball, and then we'll get into the uh, the football on Thursday night. We'll save that for another night. All right, coming up, we're going to uh, talk a little Utes, talk a little Cougars. Coming up next, you're going to hear from Kalani Sataki as uh, he addresses the media and gets the Cougars ready for the game with Boise State. And also Frank Dolce coming up as the uh, former Utah quarterback, our Ute insider, joins us every week. This has certainly been an unusual week for the Utes. A tragic week, a sad week, and yet you're supposed to get ready and play a big football game at USC. So now USC's got their own issues. They're certainly not the issues the Utes are dealing with, but they do have their own issues. We'll get into all of that with Frank coming up as well. So a lot of college football on the way. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. It's back-to-back Mountain West Conference opponents for the Cougars as they welcome in Boise State to Lavelle Edwards Stadium for a showdown against the Broncos. Listen all week for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the post-game press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to hear from the BYU football coach, Kalani Sataki. The Cougars, winners of five in a row, 16 out of 17, getting ready to play Boise State. Can they beat the Broncos for the third straight year? And we will... uh, course before we make any picks try to figure out who's playing for the cougars who's healthy start with the quarterback position but there are other guys too here's kalani sataki with the media all right well uh really excited about this week looking forward to the matchup with boise state um had a fun weekend and uh, got an extra day of rest so our guys took, took advantage of that and we'll be ready to practice today this afternoon so uh i'll keep it short and simple and just Take any questions you guys may have. Jared Lloyd, go ahead. Let's start with the obvious one. Kalani, what's the plan for quarterback this week? Yep. Uh, as far as right now, they're all still in in, in uh, contention to play this Saturday. So uh, until we practice and get a look at them, um, no one's been taken off. Uh, so every, right now is today. Uh, everyone's still available to play. Do you have any other injury updates? Uh, no, nobody lost for the season. So, nope, guys are still banged up and uh, guys are trying to come back. And so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. But hard to predict from Monday to going into a Saturday game. But uh, imagine we're going to get more guys back this week, we're hoping. Mitch, go ahead. Yeah, Kalani, what, what factors will go into deciding Jaron Hall or Baylor Romney's availability this week? How practice goes and, and you know, where we feel is who's ever the most ready to give us a, a chance to win. That's the that's that position, quarterback, and every other position that's going to be out there where guys are still trying to come back from injury and things like that. So O-line, 
quarterback, running back, doesn't matter. All, all the positions go through the same protocol, which is practice. And if you can practice, then we'll gauge who, you know, who or, or what situation we're going to be in come game day. And how often has, has Jaron, since his injury against Arizona State, how often has he been able to take snaps and practice and, and get those first team reps still? You want a number? I, I don't know. Like not often enough to play, so um, not not enough for where I feel comfortable that he can go out and play in the game, and where we feel like he's in a position to protect himself. So, yeah, that that's probably the easiest way for me to say it. And we're gonna, like I've always said this, we're gonna protect our players, and so, sometimes even from themselves. Okay, let's go uh, Jake Hatch and then Jay Drew. Yeah, Kalani, in terms of Tyler's performance, going back and watching the film, were you struck anything different watching it a second time or a third time? Uh, really impressive and um, just I, I was really pleased with everything from the other 10 guys on the field as well. You know, I, I thought um, I like I like the play calls. I like the way our players uh, Utah State's one that the defense that brings a lot of pressure. And I thought Tyler uh, ran the ball the right way. And it's stuff that we thought we saw all week that we, we could get in practice. And so it's nice to see that, uh, you know, transition over to the game. I thought our scout team gave us a great look and some of the looks that we saw in the game. And uh, that's why it's really important that we get those guys to give us a great look and, and make things really hard for us. Cause that that's a lot like what the game went for us. And I was really impressed with the way Tyler and Lopini and, and everyone that had the ball in their hands, the way that they protected the ball. That's the thing that I'm always going to go to first. And what's your assessment of Boise state? Are they more of a similar Boise state that you've seen in the past or are they any different this year? Very similar. I mean, I think for us, it's the names we, we, we notice. I mean, it, it, this is a, a rivalry game for us where uh, something that, that we're familiar with, seeing all these guys on the field again and, and them returning. And I think they have, um, you know, Bachmeyer is a really good quarterback. He's efficient. He knows how to spread the ball out, and he has great targets to throw to. He can also run. He's a, he's athletic. Um, you put that with all the receivers that they have, the tight ends, big targets. They have a, a core of running backs that can run the ball. Um, a number of I think four guys that we looked at that 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 are guys that are going to get carries, and then. Um, you know, I think they have one of the, the most dynamic receivers in college football. I think Shakir is a really good player and um, well-coached team. So I know that they've been, like a lot of other teams, have been, been dealing with injuries and banged up guys. And so, um, you know, they're, they're a really tough opponent. I know we're going to get their best shot. I know their head coach, and he's going to get them ready. So uh, we're looking forward to the matchup, but this is our, our entire focus is on um, us improving. And, and there's things that we saw from last week in the game that we could do better. Um, but I'm probably going to say that every week, you know what I mean? But I, I think a lot of the, the, the issues um, that, that could really help us out more is just uh, us not being assignment sound enough. And that's in all three phases. So uh, I'd like to see where guys make plays on us, but we're in, always in the right spot with the right technique. And that's from defense point of view and from offense, same thing. They have to stop us. They have to stop all 11 guys in the field doing from doing 
their job. So, but uh, yeah, I just I'm really excited about this week. I'm excited about the matchup. I think they have a physical O line, big O line, and D line, and active backers and and, and DBs. And so, be a good matchup. It's going to be a lot of fun. Go ahead, Jay. Kalani, now that you have a top ten ranking, five and zero, oh, haven't trailed in any games. How difficult will it be to keep this group grounded? Or is that part of the culture that you've embedded that you don't have to worry about such matters? No, I mean, it's one of those seasons where we need to stay hungry and you keep working. I mean, if, if everybody thought that we would be this, we would have been ranked number 10 preseason, you know, so there's still a lot of more opportunities for us to shock people and um, there's still more for us to do. So I think we've got to keep that edge. Um, we'll talk about it as a team. We always talk about it. The guys are really focused. I appreciate our coaches and our players being uh, ultra focused on 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 this week. And um, you know, so we we saw a lot of great things on 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 uh, Friday last Friday, but man, we saw a lot of opportunities that we missed out on too. So I love that these guys are willing to learn and, and trying to get better. They're looking forward to today's practice. So it's going to be a lot of fun for us to get out there and try to find ways to get better and get guys, some guys healthy. And we'll see what, what happens when, when, when it gets to Saturday. And I wanted to ask just about the series with Boise State. Obviously, in a couple of years, you'll be in the Big 12. Do you like this series? Would you like to see it continue? I know it's contracted to continue, but obviously things will have to change. Yeah, I do. I mean, I, I don't know all the details of everything. That's a Tom Homo uh, question. Uh, but I, I, I really appreciated the consistency in playing Boise uh, every year. And I appreciate, uh, you know, their fan base and, and their program, just the way they do things. I, I think it's a, it's a first-class organization from the university to the athletics department to the football team. So, um, yeah, I, I, I respect them a, a bunch. And like I said, we're looking forward to this matchup, but this is a team that we're used to playing against. Um, there's a lot of really good people on, on that roster that, that we know and our players are friends with. So it's a, it's a, you know, we're geographically, we're close enough where, where we know that there's some local people that are there. And like I said, we have players on our team that are good friends with, with players on their team. So it'd be a lot of fun. They're great coaching staff. And um, I think they're, they're a dangerous opponent. You know, we, we need to have all our focus on them and, and respect the game as much as possible. That means that we need to make sure that we show up at our best this Saturday. And next we'll have a question from Ron at the Idaho Statesman and then uh, Mitch Harper. Hey coach, so kind of building on that last question, um, over the, certainly over the last five or 10 years, you guys have been Boise State's most heated rival. As you look back at all those great games, how do you and your program kind of view that series? I know you have the in-state rivalry with Utah and Utah State, but is Boise State up there with those games? Yeah, definitely. I, I think it is. I mean, that's I, I think it, it all depends on who you talk to. But from our, our point of view as a football program, we definitely do. We have a lot of respect for them. And, and uh, it's been helpful that we play them every year, you know. So I think uh, the, the connection that we have to, to people on that staff. I mean, Frank's up there. That's one that's one of our our, our people that, that we know. I've known him for a long time. Um, I've known their head coach for a long time and that they have great fans. There's a lot of 
crossover and um you know from, from people that i know from idaho that are are that support boise and and um so that we have a good connection I, I think it's a it's a it's a nice uh rivalry to have and and uh it's a fun one for us and uh you know there's sometimes that that i wish we could have some of those games back just like i know they wish they could and so uh, you know it's good to have it as an annual thing and uh, i'm glad that they stepped up and played us last year that was awesome for them to do that and uh, when they didn't have to you know and and that, that was um you know, I, I respect them so much for, for doing that. And, and I'm just really looking forward to, to the game this Saturday. And, and we get to have it in Pro Bowl. And it's going to be national TV. And it's, it's, it's a great opportunity for both programs to show what they have to, uh, you know, possible recruits that are out there and, and also fan bases that are out there in the world. Thanks, Coach. Blani, uh, A.E.Rod uh, called you uh, uh, the the uh, Ted Lasso of college football coaches uh, because of the culture you have in your program. Uh, how would you describe the, the culture of, of BYU football right now? I don't know. I don't know enough about Ted Lasso to make a comment on that one. So I don't, I'm not trying to promote other TV shows and everything like that. I'm just so focused on on uh, what we're doing as a team. So I, the culture, listen, it's, 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 um, I wish I could say it's something that's original and unique to, to what I know, but it's stuff that I grew up with from being, you know, I've had a lot of people that have really spent a lot of time um, and, and their energy in helping me mentor me and bring me along the way. And that's from family, friends and, and coaches along the way. So I, I was able to, thrive in an environment that Lavelle provided for us when I was a coach. And so I take all the, those things that Lavelle did and all the things I learned as a kid and as a coach and look at the stuff that I can combine with what um, Bronco did and what Croton did and, and what I learned from other coaches along the way, like Kyle and others and, and other mentors that are out there like Andy Reed and, and other coaches that are available. I mean, uh, and then just try to put something together that, that I think could make it, make it work and focused on, on the players and focus on us trying to get better and trying to love and learn as much as we can. Okay, let's have uh, Sean Walker and then Jared Lloyd. Yeah, Coach, I wanted to ask you about the depth of your secondary because it's been obviously one of those areas we've talked about injuries uh, kind of back there with the corners and the safeties kind of moving around a bit. Uh, but it seems like they just keep stepping up. And I think another really good example this past weekend was Jacob Robinson kind of thrown into the fire against his own team and coming up with that big pick and, and whatnot. But how how deep is this secondary overall? And, and can you maybe uh, just illuminate us a little bit on, on how big Jacob's um, game was on Friday? Yeah, it was a great game. It would have been even better if he would have caught the first one that he dropped. So that, that would have been awesome. Uh, but I was really pleased with some of the things that he did coverage-wise. And I'm going to tell you, uh, Coach Guilford has done an amazing job with, with, the, with the corners specifically and Ed Lamb with the safeties. That, that's been a work in progress from the very beginning. And, and we've had to be in situations where we threw guys out there to play locked-up man coverage against some great athletes and, and they've had to learn the hard way. And, and now we have some depth and um, I think, I think um, it's a good sign for us. We, we talked about creating depth on the team and it wasn't just O-line, D-line, it was all, all around. And, and so 
part of that is development and part of that is, is our players having great work ethic and definitely the mentoring and the coaching that they receive from Gennaro and from Ed and others um, and from Elisa and others on that staff, Preston and others. So, um, yeah, we, we, we put them out a little bit on the island a little bit this last game and, and it worked out. And I don't know if we can do that all the time, but it gives us some it gives us some. Um, you know, some flexibility. We can be versatile with our play, with our play call sheet. Jared, go ahead. Kalani, you talked about physicality and, you know, some of the fun plays from last week, we're watching some of those receivers make some big blocks. How important has it been to develop that physical mindset across the board? Because it seems like offense, defense, special teams, like that's that's what you want from your guys and that's what you're getting and that's what's contributed to a lot of the success. Yeah, I, I think the the physical and tough part of the game comes down to what you're willing to do. It comes down to accountability. Uh, a lot of people think that it's just about being strong and being tough in those other ways, but it's, it's it's just being accountable and be willing to do your part. You know, so uh, guys are willing to do their jobs. I mean, we've had great blocks. That's that's the difference between a, a good run and, and a great run is is someone requiring uh, that you you ask to do their job and then do it um, an amazing job at it. And so we ask our players to do one eleventh, and great things will happen, and that's proof of it right there, you know. And, and I'm just really grateful that I have young men that are willing to work hard and willing to sacrifice a lot of things and, and hold each other accountable. And, um, you know, when you do things like that, it, I think I think you can have a lot of success. But it comes down to the, who those young men are and being, being, having the courage to be um, the, the, the young men that their mom and dads want them to be here at BYU. And so uh, I, I get I get to benefit a lot from 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 those young men being raised up the right way. The other thing I was curious about, um, we've talked before about the idea of style points, how as an independent style can make a difference to some people, but you always talk about respecting the game. Do you feel like just that karma element and that respect for the game does help the team just respecting, you know, the college football in general? I think it's a big part of it. I, I don't know. I, I can't tell what other coaches should do and how fans should act, but I, I like having uh, fans around and I love, um, you know, being able to connect and compete against uh, our opponents. So I, I don't know how everybody else wants to do it, but um, we could have got, as you said, more style points last year, but instead we chose to work some players into reps and this year we're benefiting from those guys getting the development. And so if you talk about development, it, it's not just uh, what they do in the weight room, how much stronger and faster they get. It's giving them the trust to get out there and play in games and, and rotate. And, and, you know, I've had people tell me, well, you guys rotate too much. How come no one's saying that anymore? You know what I mean? Now they're talking about our depth is, is really good, but that's the thing is we've, we've had, we've been working on this for a while now, but it's a commitment that we're making to, to our players and to our, I mean, Zach Wilson didn't complain at all last year when we took him out of the games. He understood what, what, what our culture is and what we're trying to accomplish. And that's giving Baylor and, and others a, a chance to get out there on the field, you know? And so uh, same thing with Tyler and others. It's not about the stats. It's about what's right in the game. And, and that means these guys that have worked extremely hard when they have an opportunity to play, let's give them a chance to do it. Okay. And last question from Jake. 
Kalani, kind of building a little bit off that a new wrinkle we've seen in your defense is Chaz Ayu and or Morgan Piper kind of manning that middle linebacker role and kind of that hybrid defense you've put out over the last two weeks. Is that something you've had in the pipeline for a while now, or is that something you guys did in response to the teams you've played recently? A little bit of both. I, th- I think um, the, the hardest part was losing Keenan Peely. That 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 was very difficult for our defense, and because he's a captain, you know, and he's a leader. But uh, he was playing so well, man. He, he was playing great football, and so the, to lose him was harsh for our, our team. But we had to reload and figure out a, a way to put the best eleven on the field. And it just so happens that we have a lot of versatile players that can play a lot of different positions, and um, that, that are physical and strong enough to play in in the box as a linebacker, but have the speed to go out and cover people in the slot and and, and play in the deep post. Um, and so we have those type of athletes like like. Chaz and like um, Morgan and others that can do it. And so, yeah, we're, if we have those athletes, we, we love recruiting athletes and what people might call hybrids and putting them in a lot of different places. That's why we have so many different um, positions listed on our depth chart. And, and people are always wondering what that is because we have a bunch of guys that can play a lot of different positions. And um, when you're going against a team that does a lot of pro style, it's different than when you're going against a team that does a lot of spread formations. And, and it just so happens that Boise does it all. So, uh, we, you know, we have to have all our guys ready to roll and, and all our sub packages ready to go as well. So uh, going against Utah State last week, that was difficult because they were so fast, high pace. And I thought uh, uh, Eli saw Tuyaki did a great job of getting the defense ready. He and, and Ed and, and Gennaro and, and, and Clune and, and uh, Preston had a great game plan. And I'm um, just glad our guys, you know, got got the win and, and played really hard and played really assignment sound football. Uh, but we can always improve and get better. One more quick question for you. I just wanted to get your assessment of Connor Pay as well as Campbell Barrington getting their first starts of the season along that offensive line. Yeah, Connor started for us before at guard earlier this year. He and Joe took off. We were uh, um, sharing reps at right guard. And then um, with James not being able to go, we know that we can move Connor to center. So he played, uh, I think he did that in, in, you know, he's played a lot in the bowl game last year. And we knew that he was something special just because he could play all five positions. Not a lot of linemen can do that. And so having Connor step up and do that was, was huge for us. And, um, you know, Campbell stepped up and he played against South Florida, came in and filled in for Harris when Harris got hurt and then got his first start and did an amazing job. So, uh, I mean, you know, we like our depth and I, I just – and we need to get guys healthy, though. You know, I, I think the depth has been tested quite enough now. So it's time to get – I need to start saying we like our guys getting healthier so we can get them all back for the Saturday. But really happy with the guys that stepped in and, and, and made plays. There's Kalani Sataki with the media. When we come back, Frank Dolce is talking you. Stay with us. It's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. The Utes look to pick up their first ever win in the Coliseum as they hit the road to square off against the Trojans of USC. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 5 o'clock with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Ute football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. 
DJ and PK, it's time now to talk youth football with Frank Dolce. He's on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah being a drought next summer, Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. So take advantage of their save now, pay later promotion, and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Frank, good morning. Good morning, DJ. What? What's happening? Utah is getting ready to play USC. And in any other time, we could break down the football and go crazy. And maybe we'll do that later in the segment. But I think uh, the way Kyle Whittingham opened his press conference, just acknowledging, you know, they're recovering from the ultimate tragedy. And it's twice in less than a year. It sits heavy on their hearts. It was so senseless. I mean, he went on. You can listen to it online, 1280thezone.com. But it just left me, and it's totally understandable. And I'm just curious about the energy and focus it took you to play college football back in the day and the teams you followed, because the energy in the building is just all wrong for a big-time college football game. And we totally get why, and there's nothing anyone can do about it. And we want to talk about football. And Kyle did later in his press conference talk about how when you get on the field, you zone in, and that's the only thing that matters. And I get that there's some truth to it, but I wonder in this case if that's even possible. So before we get to the physical aspect of the game, the mental and emotional, this is this is a, I don't un, unprecedented as far as I know. Maybe somebody's got something to compare it to, but it just everything he said was right, and yet the emotion in the building was wrong. It's just one of those things that it is the way it is. Yeah, I it. I don't know how you – I mean, I, I think the, the best thing that the team has going for them is that they're, you know, they're all together and they can, they can kind of manage this together, work through this together. Uh, so I think that's, I think that's positive. Um, but, you know, who, you, who knew that you'd get another, you know, some sort of <laughs> – life lesson in the middle of a, of a football season or life experience in the middle of a football season that you just weren't expecting and to be on, you know, the level of this tragedy. And, and like you said, two twice in, in less than a year and, and the circumstances surrounding it with, with those two guys, Aaron and Ty being, being close. So, uh, I, I don't have a good answer about how you manage it other than everybody being together and kind of working through it together. And then maybe, maybe it just gives a little perspective to a football season. You know, we've been pretty, I've been pretty critical of Utah this year. Lots of people have been pretty critical of Utah this year. And, and maybe we forget that it's a bunch of kids running around playing football and I know there's lots of other things involved but at the end of the day it is that's it is that and um and maybe maybe we should maybe it's a good thing for us to to look back on how we how we manage all of these situations with these with these guys playing and seeing where they can kind of get some joy out of it and joy out of their lives and maybe not so much on well, if you don't beat your rival or if you do beat your rival and what are the implications and who's going to win the championship, those are all fun things to talk about. But maybe not to the level of what 
um, or certainly not to the level of what the team is experiencing right now. And um, maybe gaining a little perspective for all of us out of this situation is not a bad thing. Football could potentially be a therapy. In 2003, USC had a player drowned right before camp started. Mm-hmm. And he went 12-1. and one. I mean, Yeah. So... I don't know what the so, answer is, but it potentially could be therapy. I don't disagree with that. It's it, it, to have something to if you're if you don't have some activity um, to take your mind elsewhere for a short period of time. I think that is healing as well mm-hmm. to, to have some sort of distraction rather than dwelling on it. And I'm not saying that uh, you should. I mean. But, move past it. I, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm saying um, you should give it, its, certainly give it its time and you should um, think about it and be curious about it and how it affects your life and and then realize that you have all of these other aspects of your life and how do you become a better person as a result of it. So I, I think that's right to have that, to have to have the team, to have the group, to have a season, to have a game, to have a practice, something that you can focus on, focus your energies on in a positive manner, I think that's certainly helpful. So to switch to the the football side of this, as you look at the uh, Pac-12, Kyle brought up the fact that Two weeks in, roughly, I mean, the Utes are one and USC's four, but for a lot of teams, they're two games in, and nine of the 12 teams already have a loss. There's only three teams still undefeated in conference play. I mean, everybody's got a loss overall, but in conference play, is there anybody you have any faith in, or is this just a complete wild scramble in the entire Pac-12? And while it will take everyone out of the playoff picture, it will be wildly entertaining to see who wins the conference. I don't know who leads the conference right now. I mean, I, I, I think you could make a, I think you could make a reasonable suggestion that it's, it's Oregon State, based on the way they've played recently. So I, I think I might just put the Beavers right up near the top. Uh, and I, I still believe that Oregon is talent-wise at the top. Uh, I don't think their quarterback play uh, is – I think their quarterback play is problematic, um, even though he's super talented. So that I think that will be a question. I think that was a question um, in their loss last weekend. And I, I – even though Stanford was the team that took them down, I don't know that I put Stanford – at the top, Stanford looks like a beatable football team to me. Um, but they, but they, it's also that team that can, you know, that can beat anybody on the schedule. So, uh, but and, and Stanford's had this thing with Oregon over the years, which I think is kind of kind of funny to, to look at. So, uh, and 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 so in the North Division and Washington, I think I, I just don't think Washington's. Maybe they'll fi- figure out a way to get on track. I don't think they're there yet. Um, Washington State is not great. Cal, obviously, not great. So I, I mean, it's it's got to be it's got to be Oregon. 
Oregon State, Oregon, Stanford in the in the top on the north. And then in the south, um, I mean, it was kind of this – PK, you and I talked about it last week. It was kind of – I was like maybe Arizona State, UCLA, and you were like maybe UCLA and Arizona State. So I still think that's probably the case. Um Maybe now Arizona State gets the slight edge, but I mean UCLA could go on a run and win the rest of their games. Yes, and Arizona State's a beatable football team. Yes, so it's likely that a two-loss team in conference comes out as champ. I mean, so so I don't know. I I still think that's what it is. Arizona State, UCLA, um, Utah, USC, and then Colorado, Arizona. Yes, I think ASU has the slight lead this week. But when we convene next week, it could be it could be Utah. Actually, if That's Utah exactly goes right. to the Coliseum and wins, they'll be two and zero, and they've had the bye, so they've got one less game. Obviously, that'll flush out here. And the Devils play Stanford, and Stanford, uh, yeah, check about the middle of the second quarter to see if it's their week or not. <laughs> Who knows? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the Devils, the Devils could be three and zero, and then they would strengthen their position. So the point is, even though SC still has two losses, and already has two losses, I should say, they, I'm not ruling them out. Because it is so fluky this year. Oregon doesn't have a good quarterback. They don't. I've been saying this for weeks. DJ can back me up on this. I don't. I don't think he's good enough. I think this Thompson kid is a freshman, and I think they're going to go with him. And but they've got all this pressure to try to win now, so they're not ready. But I do think if they could, if they would step back and play him, they would be in a better position next year to get to the playoff because I think he's better over the term that they're going to be there. Uh, he's going to be there than this other kid, but you know he's not apparently not ready. So there's all this pressure to win now, and they didn't get yeah. it done. So I understand that. I can appreciate that and respect, especially at Oregon, because they're paying top dollar to everyone to be in the playoff. So that's their standard. The rest of the programs, with the exception of SC, don't have that level of standard. So you can get um, with uh, David Shaw and put in the McKee kid and let them develop a little bit. And with that development, you're going to get some hot and cold. So as far as the Utes go... All, and it's it's I say all they got to do, and it's a monumental task. But if they pull it off, I view them as potentially in the driver's seat pretend, uh, uh, with the acknowledgement of what happens with Stanford and ASU Friday. Absolutely. I don't disagree with that at all. And I... I look across Utah's schedule in the South and the rest of their schedule, I guess. Um, and I, there are some matchups that, that bother me. Like Utah USC is always a good matchup for Utah. That, that seems to fit. And, uh, and I think it's a good fit this year for Utah. So I, I'm fairly confident. I mean, I think that this is a year that Utah could go into the Coliseum and figure out how to win that game against a USC team that's in, in disarray. So good. Let's. I like that. I like that fit. Um, UCLA Utah bothers me a little bit because uh, I, I I don't think UCLA is great, but they do some things offensively that Utah hasn't done well stopping this year, and that's especially with a with a quarterback that can get out of the pocket. 
Um, and so that that's a little bit of a concern. Arizona State, I don't think, is a great matchup for for Utah. Same thing with the with that mobile, sure, athletic quarterback. But they can lose that game and still win the thing, though. <laughs> but they can, yeah. So so that's the that's the crazy. Stanford Utah, I think that's a good matchup. Like I think Utah is a, that's a very favorable matchup for Utah. And then you know Colorado, Arizona, those are I think those are very winnable games. So as I look across their schedule. Um, I could see Utah. I could see Utah winning the rest of their Pac-12 South games. Unlikely. I could see Utah going through and only losing one and coming out on top in the South. Uh, I think that's very reasonable. But I but I think that's very reasonable for a few teams in the South. So we'll just. I don't know. I'm not willing to say this is the team. I'm going to put a stake in the ground with yeah, this right. team and say they're going to win it. So I think there's one theory out there that USC's been up and down here. They've neither won consecutive games or lost consecutive games. They've alternated wins and losses, and they're 3-2. and two. But then maybe it's just our preseason expectations. Maybe they aren't up and down. Stanford and Oregon State, top half of the league. Washington State, Colorado, bottom half of the league. So they beat Washington State and Colorado, and they lose to Stanford and Oregon State, is USC, considering they've already had a coaching change and they missed on one or two recruiting classes that are now kind of the middle, the heart of this roster, are they just a mediocre to maybe slightly above average team? Yeah, I think that's probably true. We, we always used to say, and I still say a little bit, that USC has you know the most talent around the, the Pac-12. And that for a long time that was true. A couple bad recruiting cycles. I think they still have significant amounts of talent. Maybe they, you know, they edge out all the other teams in terms of of talent. But it's not quite what it used to be. And uh, and it's a team that hasn't figured out how to how to win. And it's a team that I don't think. I mean, there's a lot of people high on Slovis, and I, I don't. I think there's lots of potential with Slovis. I don't think the quarterback play there has been terrific. And I'm going to, you know, obviously it's the quarterback pulling the trigger, but I, I'm not, I have never been a big fan of, of uh, the offensive system they're currently running. Doesn't seem like a fit. So, so yeah, I, I think that USC is a team that still has enough talent. If they figure out how to get everyone going down the, the same, going in the same direction, then they're going to be very difficult to beat. But it's not such an array of talent that it's overwhelming to another to another team in the South. And I think I think we've seen that. So uh, it's a it's a talented but beatable USC football team. A couple of things concern me from the Utah perspective. They have had some outstanding big-time receivers in recent years. I mean, I would need a program to list all the guys in the NFL. If I start naming them, I guarantee uh-huh. I'd leave some out. Uh, this Drake London might be the best of them all. I mean, he is something to, to behold and watch. So the Utes have got to get a handle on him, which means that they've got to get in Slovis's face. I mean, that goes hand-in-hand, hand, obviously. And then I think on the other side that USC has been susceptible to – Passing, so their pass defense, uh, and I'm wondering, you know, we put a lot of hope right now on Cam Rising, but I also think we have to step back and think he's only basically played a game and a half. Uh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, his whole entire college career is a game and a half. 
So we maybe we need to back off a little about uh, off that a little bit and let him grow. But if they can find a, a way to curtail the Drake man and find success throwing the ball, I think they got a decent shot. I don't know if they can though. I think the defense has taken enough of a step forward that uh, the ability to pressure the quarterback is, I I think it's really reasonable to think that's going to occur in this game. And, and Slovis, the the other thing I like about it is Slovis doesn't necessarily present the problems of breaking out of the pocket and scrambling around or running downfield for 15 yards on a broken play. So, you know, Utah certainly can't lose lose contain or lose discipline up front. But I think the ability to get pressure on the quarterback, I'm optimistic about that for Utah defensively. The other side is a little more tricky because it is very tempting to say, hey, we should be able to do this in the passing game against against USC. The, the, the issue is um, USC is still pretty talented on the, in the, on the defensive front. And Utah, when they take a step back into pass protection, just hasn't been very good. And so you're you're now putting you're you're likely putting Rising in a situation where he's going to be under pressure lots of time, lots of the time, and and forced to throw the ball downfield because you think that's that's where you win the game is you can exploit a defensive secondary that's weak against the pass. I I don't I don't like that philosophy. And I'm not saying that's happening. I just, just you know, making assumptions. I, I would say that Utah just needs to, to kind of figure out what they've done best over the first few weeks or, or where they're trending and work with their strengths. And, if the, you know, their strengths are going to have to be good enough to beat USC on the defensive side. I like Utah running the football. I like Pledger and the way that he made a step forward. I think there's, a, it's, you know, a couple other really talented really talented backs and then you know putting putting rising in a situation where he has to drop back five or seven steps and sit out sit around in the pocket for a minute and let things unfold in the secondary i don't think that's advantageous based on what we've seen the first several weeks so uh you know maybe a more of a quick hitting passing game get rid of the ball quickly or get your quarterback on the move um outside of the pocket because he is athletic uh, and maybe that's maybe that's something Utah can utilize, but but I don't think that that because USC has been weak against the pass for Utah to to go into this game and say, well, we're going to throw the ball all over the field. I'm not sure that's reasonable. Maybe yeah. it is. Maybe we'll be proven, or I'll be proven completely wrong. Should be right. But 450 um, yards passing for Cam Rising. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, absolutely. I absolutely would love this to month. see that. Based on yeah, based on what we've seen coming into this game, it doesn't seem like that's a, a reasonable way to approach the game. If they get the run game going and he gets to throw off play action, I can see him making a bunch of big plays. If he has For to sure. throw the ball 50 times off seven still oh, drops. Geez, Kyle will drop dead a heart attack. <laughs> Kyle will have a heart attack. <laughs> Cam Rising will separate his shoulder and USC will intercept 10 passes. That's not the way oh that you should be playing. But I that, do think if he's throwing. would be throwing, a difficult afternoon. But I think if he's throwing off play action, he might make big plays. I don't, I don't think you should rule that out. You know? Well, yeah, you know, and. I, I like that game plan, but you know the key to getting 
play action to work is yeah is having a, a ground game running so the game i would love fumbling, running the ball yeah. and not fumbling the uh the ball away and and keeping it off the turf so yep. you know i think if utah cleans up some of those small issues uh becomes a little more stout at the line of scrimmage in the past game gets the run game going i i think they have a very very good chance of going in and and winning one in the coliseum Frank, we appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us. Hey, absolutely, of course. I appreciate visiting with you guys every week. And, uh, PK, I just wanted to mention what a nice article uh, you wrote to honor a dear friend of all of ours. Um, Man, this business is awful sometimes. (laughs) But that guy, uh, Gordon, is one of a kind, and we certainly wish him the best. He's 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 a legacy in the in the broadcast industry. No, Absolutely. big time. There, there's, there's only a 1280 The Zone because he and Bowler put their heads together and decided to make phone calls. That's historical fact. Other people played a big role. PK brought up one of our bosses who wrote us a nice email. He had a big role, but if they don't pick up the phone, there's right. no 1280 right. The Zone. No, you're right. It's, that's, it's that's, inarguable. <laughs> that's a, that was a critical moment in time and decision those two yep. guys made. Yep. And we've all benefited from it. I've benefited from yep. it. PK has. Yach has. Good for them. Yep. Thanks, guys. <laughs> and thank you, Frank. <laughs> yeah. That was a good shout at the end. Good call by you. Absolutely. You all got right. it. Well done, Thanks. Gordon. All, all right, right, guys. Thank you. There is Frank Dolce, our Utah insider. When we return, what is trending? All the headlines next.